0: seven miracles that Jesus performs and we've called this series signs um, because for two reasons one because that's what John calls them Uh, in his writing he never uses the term miracle he always uh, uses the term sign because for him these aren't just uh, empty supernatural acts that Jesus did we read about get some information and move on but rather everything that Jesus does and particularly these supernatural acts, these miracles, point us to something deeper, point us to a greater reality. And so we've been spending seven weeks walking through, um, step by step, each of these signs and really looking for what is it pointing us to? What is John trying to communicate to us? And so we've been doing that uh, systematically, and we're going to finish up this series this week. Now, normally at the end of every service, as I'm wrapping up my sermon, I'm going to ask everybody to close your eyes and bow your heads and and, uh, we enter into a time of reflection. And we'll do that again today like we always do. Um, Jay and the worship team will come back up. They'll begin to lead us. We'll open up the communion table for those that want to make that a part of their worship time and worship experience together. Um, We ask you to stay seated for a little while to pray and have some time to think and meditate. And And then Jay will invite us to stand and sing. So we always reserve some, some reflection time for the end. And we'll do that again today. But I actually want to start today with some reflection. Now, I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm not going to ask anybody um, to pray out loud or anything, so don't, don't get nervous. Um, I'm going to ask you to think, though. And, and as we start today, I, I want you just to be able to be honest with yourself um, as you think through some of these questions. Now, each of you we're hopefully handed what we call a worship guide when you walked in. Um, And it's got some information. We always put a schedule of where we're going in the sermons. uh, And and we'll talk more about what's in it later. But on the back is an opportunity for you to take notes. And so um, I don't hand out sermon guides where you fill in the blanks because I'm not very good at that. I'm not catchy and creative. And I can't rhyme very well. So um, generally I just say, hey, if there's a thought or a scripture Um, that really catches your mind, that you want to think about more, that you want to study further, uh, questions that you may have that you would like to answer later, Uh, this is a great place to do this. So as we do this little thinking exercise, if you want to write down your answers, uh, this may be helpful to process. And so I'm going to ask just first of all for you to think in your mind, maybe you write it down, uh, what is love? What is love? It sounds really simple until you try to write a definition and then you're like, "Oh, uh, I, how do you how would you define love?" So you can write it down, you can think through it. Maybe you have a pre-crafted definition. All right, maybe in a premarital exercise you had to do this or something and you know, you're you're such a great family, y'all painted it on the wall. We never made it that far. We didn't paint ours on the wall. Maybe you got a definition. Maybe you just want to write down some words that you associate with love. Just think about it for a second. So in this attitude of thinking about it, what does it mean to say that God loves you? What does it mean that God loves you? So again, maybe you have like some crafted phrase of theology or doctrine that really defines how God loves you. Or maybe you just have some word associations you might want to do. We could ask it another way. If you told someone, maybe it's a spouse, a child, a coworker, that God loves you, you told that to them, what do you mean when you tell that person, hey, God loves you, I want you to know that today? What, what does that mean? What do, you, what do you mean that God loves them? Or maybe we'll try another way to say it. This might help you. If you were to tell somebody, hey, I know God loves me because fill in the blank. So just take a second to think through that and what that means. We talk about love a lot, Our culture does. We do in the church a lot. We talk about God loving you. We talked about loving one another. But what does that mean? So continue to write if you'd like. Continue if you're still processing. Keep doing that. Um, as we move into our text today, we're going to be in John chapter 11. And this is, even though we're only halfway through the book, this is where the, the seventh and final miracle takes place that John records. Certainly not the last miracle Jesus does, but just of the seven that John tells us about. And I'm going to give you a spoiler, spoiler alert, okay? So, um, you know, I don't mean to burst any bubbles. Some of you have church experience and you've read the Bible before, so you already know the end of the story. If you don't, I'm going to ruin it for you ahead of time, okay? In John chapter 11, there's a guy named Lazarus. Lazarus gets very sick. Jesus hears about it. Lazarus dies, Jesus travels to go see Lazarus, and Jesus raises him up from the dead. There's your story. So let's pray. We'll all go home. No, I'm kidding. All right? No way. I'm a preacher. I can't. I can't get off the stage that quick. All right? Um, so that's the story. Lazarus dies. Jesus raises his, him up. Okay? Chapter 11 is pretty long. Normally, we cover the entire story um, when, we're, when we're looking at one of these miracles, we're not going to do that today. So like last week, if you maybe struggle with knowing how to read the Bible, knowing where to start, and, and this week you're like, I, I would like to read, I just don't know what to, what to read. Where do I open it up to? Should I just like randomly flip to a page? Maybe John chapter 11 would be a great um, text for you to stay in and to read and think about and study this week because we're not going to have time to do all of it together today. So that's why I gave you the spoiler alert. So I got all the big details out of the way, all right? So you know how it starts and you know how it ends. But I want us to look at one particular part of this story that has a lot to do with love. So if you have your Bibles and you want to, open up to John chapter 11. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet and you want to open up the Bible app, that's probably the easiest and quickest way to get there. Or the text will be up on the screen for us as well. So we're going to read the first five verses and make a few observations before we move on any further. So John chapter 11, and we'll start in verse 1. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. So we know that. We even know what's about to happen to him. The village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So clearly, John wants us to understand there is a special relationship Between Jesus and this family there's two sisters and a brother they clearly are not strangers a lot of these miracles we've seen in the gospel of John somebody random has walked up to Jesus and said hey could you please come heal my son or Jesus walks up upon some uh, somebody who's who's lame or someone who's blind maybe they've probably have never met before but this is clearly not the case These are no strangers. Jesus knows this family well, and there is mutual love. And we get it really in three places. Verse 2 It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment. That actually hasn't happened yet. It actually, John will tell us about it in John chapter 12. So a little bit of foreshadowing. John just wants to make this connection for his readers that we understand who all these main players in the story are and how they connect. In John chapter 12, um, Mary's going to fall at Jesus's feet and worship. She's going to pour very expensive perfume on his feet and then wipe his feet with her hair. An absolute total um, show and, and display of humility and humbleness and worship. As a matter of fact, some people are going to get mad at this lady for what she's going to do, but Jesus stops them says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to be with you much longer. If she wants to worship this way, let her. I mean, that's love and devotion and humility and worship and adoration. Pouring something of great value on someone's feet and then using your hair to clean them, that's love. Probably didn't make it in any of your definitions, I'm guessing. Wouldn't have made it in mine either, but that's love. So that, was, his, that was, it was her brother who's ill. Verse 3, so the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now it's not just about this family loving and being devoted to Jesus. Now John wants us to know that Jesus in return loves this family. When they send to him, they say, Jesus, not my beloved brother is sick. Jesus, I love you so much. And since I love you, I want you to know my brother sick No, Jesus, the one you love, Jesus, don't forget, the one you love is ill. And then we jump down to verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So this plea to have Jesus come and heal Lazarus was not some sort of manipulation. Like, oh yeah, Jesus, remember, you're supposed to love everybody. So since you love Lazarus, you should come and heal him. Uh, John, as the narrator, wants us to know that 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 plea was not manipulative, that Jesus really does love Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. Five verses, three strong pictures of love. Three strong pictures of love. Now, verse four, before we move on, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Well, that's strange because it does right like we know the story here's what's crazy john knows the story too john was there he knows the ending so what is what does he mean it is for the glory of god so that the son of god may be glorified through it what jesus is saying is death this story isn't about death death may be a part it may be a scene in the play but this story is not about death There's something much greater that we're to be focused on here. So love. Love is a huge theme of these first five verses. The love of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus for Jesus, and the love that he returns to them. Not as strangers, not as like, oh yeah, we're supposed to love everybody because the Bible tells us to, but a genuine I know you and I love you love. Now let's look at verse 6. I'm going to read verse 5. We'll keep verse 6 up there. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place he was. So that little word, so, seems simple, but it's not. Everything in this particular section in this story hangs on that word. That is something that we call a logical inferential conjunction. Usually in English we say therefore. So maybe your version of your Bible says so, or then, or that, or therefore. But this whole text hinges on that word. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Therefore, he stayed where he was for two more days. Jesus loved those three, and it caused him to stay. Jesus heard that Mary and Martha were struggling. They were grieving. They were worried. Lazarus was on his deathbed. And because of his love, he stayed and didn't do anything. Jesus could have gone. Jesus could have stopped Lazarus from dying. Jesus didn't even have to move. Do you remember the centurion's son when we read earlier in the Gospel of John? Jesus just told him, go, your son lives. And and his boy was healed. Jesus didn't need to move a muscle. He could have just said, Lazarus will be fine. Because he loved them, he waited. Now, how does that fit into our definition of love? How does that coincide with probably what most of us think of, what many of us may have written down when we think of love? How does that fit into our definition? We'll, We'll make it even a little more difficult. Verse 11. We'll skip a few verses. After saying these things, he said to them, this is his 12 disciples, who have been with him for the last two days while he's been waiting. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. So Jesus is like, oh, I fell asleep, which is like a really PC way of saying, I waited long enough, he's dead now. And his disciples are like, well, if he's sleeping, let's just like let him sleep. That's probably good for the illness. And so, uh, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. That word that says "I am glad" is really soft. What Jesus actually said in Greek is "I rejoice." So because he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he waited and did nothing for two days. When his disciples begin talking to him about the situation, and Jesus says, no, Lazarus isn't asleep, he's actually dead. And what does Jesus say? And I rejoice that he's dead. I rejoice that he's gone. How does that fit into your understanding and definition of love? That Jesus would rejoice at the pain that Mary and Martha are going through. That he would rejoice at the fact that a dear friend of his, Lazarus, has just died. What kind of love is this? How could this be love? How could love say, I rejoice in your suffering? How could love say, I have the power to do something and I'll choose not to do it? How does that fit into what we know and believe and embrace as what love is? And if this is a part of Jesus' love for those who love Him in return then maybe we need to begin to redefine what we think of and what we mean when we talk about love. Here's a possible definition that maybe we could work off of. Maybe love is Jesus giving us what we need most. Now, let's be honest. Most of us are okay with that definition on on the surface. Like, I'm okay with Jesus giving me what I need Mo, what, I, what it is that I need most. Until what you need most comes at a great cost. For Mary and Martha and Lazarus, it came at the greatest cost. This is where most people begin to have a real problem with Christianity. Where most people are, are begin to be turned off by... Um, some of the truth and the ideas that the Bible teaches. Most people, believers or non-believers, most people, assuming they accept the reality that God exists, they want God to love them. They're like, yes, I would like for God to love me. I want Jesus to love me. Most people, I would say, are actually even okay with God giving us what we need. And I would even say that many, and probably most in this room, are okay with God giving us what we need, even if it means death. But just so long as it's Jesus' death. First Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. We've been brought to God because of death. Romans 5 verses 6 through 8 says this, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Most of us are okay with that. Most of us are okay for that God expresses his love for us and that God gives us what we really desperately need, which is, which, is a, which is his righteousness, which is a way to connect to him, which is a way to be reconciled back to him. We're okay with him loving us and with him giving us what we need. And for him doing so in death, so long as it's only Christ that has to die. But if it 's if I have to die, someone I care about has to die. If someone before it 's really in our minds, their time has to die, someone with so much life to live, or someone who has such a good heart and does so much good for other people, and why couldn't they have continued living and continue? doing good for other people, that's when we begin to build a wall up. And for most people, that's a wall they're not willing to cross. They're good all the way up until there, even to the point of Jesus dying so I get love and what I need. But if it costs me anything, or if it costs me greatly, I'm not sure if that's a Savior I want. I'm not sure if that's a God I want to follow. I'm not sure that I necessarily want now God's love or what He thinks I need. During this series, we've talked a lot about miracles. I mean, that's what these seven weeks have been about, right? Coming away with this idea that when you have a difficulty or a disability or a disease or you're even facing death, Jesus can come in and radically transform your circumstances. He gives sight to the blind. He makes the lame to walk. He turns nothing, bath water, into the greatest wine anyone's ever tasted. He can reach out and touch and change, or he can just speak words of life. But what if? But what if because Jesus loves you so much that more than he wants to change your situation he wants something else for you. What if because of his love for you he has something else in mind for you? Now, some of you may be thinking, and it's a legitimate question, well, Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. It's okay to think that. I've thought that. Like, Jesus knew what he was going to do, so it's not quite the same. And it also doesn't seem as bad, right? It was bad for four days, but certainly different. I don't know if this applies to my situation, Couple thoughts. Number one, death is always painful. Death of a loved one, death of a friend, death of a relationship, death of a dream. Death is always painful. Some of you, if you grew up in church and Sunday school and Vacation Bible School and those kinds of things, uh, you may have memorized the shortest verse in the whole Bible, John eleven thirty five right in the middle of this story, Jesus wept. In the midst of all that was taking place, even knowing he was going to resurrect Lazarus, Jesus, in the midst of being with Mary and Martha who were grieving, and Jesus, who loved Lazarus himself, weeps. Death is always painful, and we shouldn't minimize it here. My second thought and response is Is God's love and power and sovereignty and purpose at all diminished between the death and the resurrection? For four days between, we didn't read all these parts of of the story, and I encourage you to read them this week. Jesus eventually does travel to Bethany, uh, and he finds Mary and Martha, and and the the ladies have some uh, good words for Jesus, just like you and I would do if we'd seen Jesus and been like, bro, why didn't you show up? You could have done something about this. They have some conversations, and eventually um, Jesus commands them to roll the stone away. He's going to resurrect Lazarus. They, they're like, whoa, Jesus, he's been in there for four days. Uh, you know what happens? Uh, if you're a King James version, I don't really read the King James very often, but if you are, um, in the King James it said, he stinketh. I just think that's funny. Okay? So for four days, was God less loving? Was he less powerful? Was he less sovereign? Was his plan less than worthy And important and meaningful. For for those four days, was, was God's love and power and sovereignty and purpose diminished at all? So when you're between death and resurrection, we have to hold on to the promise and the reality that His love and His power and His sovereignty and His purpose have never diminished. Whether... You're in it for four days or for 40 years or for four generations. His love and his power and his sovereignty and his purpose have never changed. They don't diminish. They don't lessen. Some of you may feel between death and resurrection right now. The death of a dream and uncertainty about the future, and if you'll ever get back on track, and if you'll ever find a job that you love and that will take care of your family. Some of you are between the death of one relationship and the resurrection of something new. And it doesn't change God's love, or His power, or His sovereignty, or His purpose in your life just because you're between those two realities. number of years ago, this would have been five or six years ago, I have a friend, uh, this was when we were still living in Littleton, uh, in his, at that time, young 30s. I get a call at 6 30 a.m. one time. Unusual. One, because I'm not a morning person, and usually my friends know it, and uh, this guy has never called me in the morning before. My first thought when I saw his name on my caller ID was butt dial even though it probably was too early to be an actual butt dial, it was was some sort of accident. But it wasn't. He had just woken up to find his wife had passed in the middle of the night. Young 30s, two young daughters. He called 911, and then he called me. I ended up preaching her funeral, and was there to walk through a lot of dark moments. I mean... How, how do I raise two little girls? How am I going to pay the mortgage now? What in the world am I supposed to do in my life? Their finances were a wreck to begin with, and she didn't have life insurance. That's a tough place to be. For weeks, he slept on the couch because he didn't want to go in that bedroom. So our small group got together and helped remodel his bedroom so that... It felt like a different place. Now, six years later, as a part of that process, he needed to find a new job that would pay a little bit more because he had lost an income. So six years later, he's in a job he loves even more that pays way more than he was making before. He's remarried, and his new marriage and his new wife, their marriage is much stronger now than his first marriage ever was. As a part of this process, he's been blessed with additional children. Sometimes when we hear stories like these in the Bible or or somebody shares a personal story of, this is such a dark time I went through and here's how God brought me out of it, so you need to have faith. And it's always easy to go, yeah, easy for you to say, because you're on the other side. It'd be easy to think, What's the big deal? He rose Lazarus from the dead, so it's a happy ending. But it doesn't feel happy in those dark days, in those dark years, when you're just trying to figure out how to keep your head above water. Yeah, we could look at my friend Dave and, and go, look what God did. Isn't God amazing? Isn't his love and his power and his sovereignty and his purpose so Unbelievable. Tell that to Dave six months in when he doesn't know how he's going to pay the mortgage and he's hurting and he's lonely. He's trying to figure out life. When you're between death and resurrection, God's love and his power and his sovereignty and his purpose don't change and they don't diminish. So we have to begin rethinking what does it mean that God loves me? And am I okay for God to really love me? As Jesus told his disciples, as soon as he heard the news, this illness does not end in death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus in his love for Mary and Martha and Lazarus was the reason he waited. Because he loved them, verse 5 says, verse 6, therefore he stayed where he was for two more days. Because Jesus some- wanted something bigger for those three because Jesus understood that he and his father would get more glory and the power and their power over death would be seen so much greater in that moment than it would in any other way but it came at a great cost some people don't want anything to do with God or Christianity or Jesus because of this truth yes God loves you Yes, God wants what's best for you. Yes, Jesus loved you enough and wanted it enough that he died for you. Yes, God wants to do something amazing in your life and in your world. Yes, God wants to use you in powerful, miraculous ways. Yes, God's love and his power and his sovereignty and his purpose are beyond anything that we can ask or imagine or wrap our minds around. But that doesn't mean it won't come at a cost. That doesn't mean that seeing God for who He is and understanding His love, understanding His power and His sovereignty and His purpose don't come at a great cost to some of us. Some, you may go most all of your life without ever paying the dear cost that some others have to pay. But all of us, have to walk in faith knowing that God is at work in our lives and that even in the dark days His love and His power and His sovereignty and His purpose have not diminished. And that we can trust Him and we can follow Him and we can keep our eyes open and our heads held up on the lookout for, for God's glory to be displayed for Him to do something amazing In our lives. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for our time together this morning. And I think if all of us were honest in here, Jesus, I don't think any of us want to experience death. Nobody in here seeks out the dark days, the dark moments, the dark years. We don't seek out the death of a loved one of a spouse, of a child of a hero we don't seek the death of a dream or a goal but Jesus when those moments come and even if those moments are now I pray that you would build up in us faith to not give up To not walk away. Would you do something in each of our hearts and our minds this morning? Something miraculous, something supernatural, something that only you can do. Would you transform us from the inside out? If you'll keep your eyes closed for a moment. many ways, all of us are between death and resurrection. To differing degrees. In different ways, in different circumstances. But I imagine all of us have experienced loss. Or at some point, all of us will experience loss. But for those whose faith and trust is in Christ, resurrection is coming. We're going to talk about this in a few weeks, but When the sisters saw Jesus for the first time, Jesus said, Lazarus will rise again. And they respond, I know he will rise again on the last day. I know that the resurrection is coming. And Jesus' response is he looks at those sisters and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection is coming. It may come in your life now. Someday soon, someday in the future, there may be a resurrection of a relationship or a dream. God may be at work and one day you'll look back and go, wow, through all the pain, through all the suffering, but look what God did. But what if that doesn't Life. What if you go through the rest of your life and there's not a resurrection of that dream or that relationship? It does not diminish God's love or power or sovereignty or purpose. Because Jesus said one day there will be a resurrection, one day Jesus is coming again to finish what he started. resurrection and after that there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. So whether that comes in your life now, whether you spend the rest of your days chasing it, but it never comes, it doesn't diminish who God is. And we trust in. and that's enough to cause all of us to rejoice whether we see the solution the resurrection in this life or whether we have to wait for the one to come it's enough and it's worthy to be celebrated and that's why we get together every week and we sing and we rejoice in who God is no matter what circumstances may be going on in our life Lord thank you Continue to move and to speak. We love you and we trust you. We trust you when it's painful. We trust you when we don't understand. Would you do a work in each of our hearts?